0: Thanks so much for joining us for the New Life Rabina podcast. New Life Church is one family, many churches, and we exist to simply see more people, more like Jesus, by planting and leading thriving local churches. You've joined us in a series we've titled Paradox, A Different Way to Live. In this series, we will uncover the profound truths hidden within these seemingly contradictory statements as we embrace the challenge to follow Jesus' footsteps and be a catalyst for change in our world. We pray that this message is a blessing. Father, we come before you today. And Lord, I thank you that it's cold, but the fire in our heart, I pray, is warm. That we are so ready to receive and hear from you. God, I believe that you want to meet with us today, that you want to speak with us today, that even if I completely drop the ball in this sermon, your word never returns ball, you never returns void. That you are faithful and Holy Spirit, you are speaking. So, God. Help us to turn down the noise of the world that we might have Your voice turned up. In Jesus' Name we pray, Amen, Amen. There are two kinds of people in this world and it's really important we make this distinction. There are two kinds of people, those who like normal water and those who like sparkling water. And the correct answer is those who like sparkling water. Amen. Because normal water is like drinking beige as a colour. And sparkling water is like, except beige is like making a comeback. I know a lot it's like, a, like fashionable now. But uh, sparkling water is like a party in your mouth. I don't know if you've ever, it's like a way to hydrate yourself and have, let your mouth have fun at the same time. It's like, ooh, snap, crackle, pop. This is fantastic. Now, when I go to a coffee shops, what I love about the Gold Coast is you can go to a coffee shop and you order a coffee and they'll give you a, some water. They'll go, hey, do you want tap water or sparkling water? And here's the best part. It's free. It's awesome, because I agree, you shouldn't have to pay for something that you could just find in a lake. It's great. The problem is, is that I've got a penchant for sparkling water. I like sparkling water a lot. So whenever I'm at Blackboard or another coffee shop or wherever you are around Australia today, I'm the guy that has three sparkling water bottles and then like one cup of coffee, because I think it's great, they give it to you for free. Little did I know that when Sarah and I travelled around the world, this was not the case all around the world. And no one tells you this before you order it. So we go to a restaurant and, uh, and when we're, when we're travelling on our holidays and we'd be sitting there before we had kids where you could go to restaurants on your holidays and we, we'd sit there and there'd be a moment where a waiter would come across and they would say, "Oh, would you like tap water or sparkling water? And my thought is, ha, ha, free water, this is going to be great. I'll have a party in my mouth, please. Sparkling water, straight up. And they would come along and I, I should have known when they brought San Pellegrino rather than just normal sparkling water. And I'm like, wow, this is pretty cool. They give you a free San Pellegrino. This is amazing. I love this. I love this country. We should all be like these guys. And then it would happen. You'd get to the end of like, you know, we're on a budget, so we'd probably ordered, you know, two entrees. And there was this moment where at the end of the entrees, like, can I have the bill, please? And you look at the bill and there it is, you know, shrimps to start off, like $10, or whatever Sarah got, you know, skewers, $5. And then $19 for a, a bottle of water, sparkling bottle of water. And I'm like, oh, sorry, you charged me for the sparkling water. And they're like, yes. Um, that costs money. I'm like, have you been to the Gold Coast? Because it doesn't cost us there. And I realise it's it does on the Gold Coast. You know, when you go to a coffee shop, you buy a five dollar coffee, you get free sparkling water with it. If you go to a restaurant on the Gold Coast and you buy a steak, for some reason, spending more money means you have to spend more money on sparkling water. Now you're going to pay twenty bucks. What is with this? So, friends, the whole point of the sermon today: if you're a restaurant owner, can you please start giving sparkling water today? Let's pray. Jesus, we pray for those. No, I'm kidding. What's the point? Is when I sat down and began drinking the sparkling water, I wasn't aware of the cost. And when the bill came across the table, I was horrified at the reality of the cost of what I thought was free. And I say this today because I think some of us in this room as Christians, maybe all of us, if I can be honest, it's true for me, we forget there's a cost to following Jesus. And too often the bill comes across our table and we're like, hey, whoa, 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 what? I was in the sermon. They said grace is free. This seems to be pretty pricey. (laughs) This isn't what I signed up for. Maybe you're here today and you know exactly what I'm talking about. We give our lives to Christ, we choose to follow him. And there's something that happens, it gets hard, it gets difficult. God starts to put his finger on things in our world. He's like, hey, let's talk about this. Whoa, 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 Jesus. Hang on. I love the forgiveness thing. But what's this? Don't talk to me about the other stuff. Maybe you're here today, you don't yet know Jesus. Weirdly, this sermon is my best attempt at convincing you not to follow him. Now, some of you are like, yeah, Okay. <laughs> I invited my friend to the wrong, should have done Alpha first. Yes, you should have, Tuesday night. Because I think the reality is when Jesus talks about following Him, He doesn't use clickbait. He doesn't use bait and switch. He's pretty open and honest. We just forget what He said. So we're in this series called Paradox and I started two weeks ago. Weirdly, this, is, this sermon is actually a sequel to the sermon two weeks ago. So if you missed it, catch up on our podcast or... Listen to the next two minutes. I'll give you the highlight reel. We spoke two weeks ago from Matthew chapter 16. And Jesus in Matthew chapter 16 asks the disciples this great question. Who do you say I am? Peter, top of the class, comes back, goes, you're the Messiah, the living Son of God. Ding! Gets it right. Jesus turns around and goes, yes, I now call you Peter. And upon this rock of your declaration, Peter, I will build my ecclesia, my called out people. Do you remember that? We are called out people to make darkness shake in this world. That's who we are. That's who God's called us to be. And what does He say on the back end of that? And I tell you this, not even the gates of Hades will prevail against it. It's a vision cast. When Jesus talks like this, there's something that, that beats in my chest. I'm like, I wanna be a part of this. This is awesome. And then He goes on to tell them, how are we going to see this happen? Where will this revolution begin? He says, well, friends, I'm going to go and die. The Pharisees will kill me and I'll be subjected to Roman rule. And the disciples get confused. Like, hang on, Jesus, we were excited for the moment where we kicked Caesar's butt. No when Caesar kicked your butt. Like, let's, let's roll that back. And Peter says, no, Jesus, stop talking about death. And then Jesus says to Peter, the greatest rebuke in the Bible, He says to Peter, get behind me, Satan. For you have become a stumbling block to me And when you have in mind the concerns of humanity, not the concerns of God, what's what's Jesus saying here? Well, I won't talk about the Satan thing. Go back and listen to the podcast. We'll unpack it there. But what ultimately happens is this, is Jesus says, here's your concerns, Peter, and here's God's concerns. And he says something really interesting. He says, when you do that, when you prioritise your concerns over God's concerns, Peter, you become a stumbling block to the forward movement of the kingdom of God. And it's crazy. We meditated on the idea that Jesus is like, I'm going to do something great and not even the gates of darkness will prevail against it. And Peter says one thing. He's like, whoa, Peter, you could undo this whole thing. And we talked at that moment, we reflected, where in our life have we put our concerns over God's concerns? But the conversation doesn't actually stop there. It continues. It continues on where Jesus turns to Peter and the disciples and He says, guys, I've told you I'm going to go die and I'm going to suffer. But, but I need to let you know what it's actually going to look like to be a part of this. Let me give you the best pitch I have. Let me sell this to you. Let me tell you how good it's going to feel to be my disciple and let's see if you're still at the end. Let me give you the best sales I can. Jesus turns to him in the next moment, in verse 24, and He says this to the disciples. He says, Anyone... Whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, must deny themselves, take up their cross, and follow me. Now, I'm not sure if Jesus studied marketing and communications at university, if he was just literally the world's worst publicist, but there is nothing about what he's just said that makes me think the disciples in response were like, oh my gosh, this sounds fantastic wow, this sounds like a good time. Let's all, in fact, let's ring. Let's invite people along, right? When you invite someone to Alpha, you're probably not going, hey, you wanna try Alpha? And they're going, oh yeah, what's that about? It's all about you denying yourself, picking up your cross and following Jesus. That's not the selling point. That's why we do the free food thing. It's a lot more attractive. What's What's the heart behind that? Jesus is being clear. See, unlike many of the leaders in our world, Jesus doesn't have spin. Jesus isn't trying to disguise the truth dressed up nicely. What's he saying? Guys, let me be clear with you. You you think me going to die is a problem. You're not gonna like what it means to be my disciple. It means three things. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Which means that there's a couple different kinds of people in this room today. There's some people who call themselves Christians, but maybe not a disciple. Because being a disciple is scary. There are some people in the room today who are considering Christianity and you're wondering, and friends, I told you, this was going to be my best attempt at telling you why you shouldn't follow Jesus. If you don't want to deny yourself, take up your cross and follow Him. There are people in the room today whose faith is cold. It's tired. It's worn out. And I wonder if these three things would describe your pursuit of Christ. Have you denied yourself? taking up your cross and follow Jesus. Jesus doesn't say some of the people who call themselves my disciple. Jesus doesn't say there'll be a special group of elite disciples who do this. He's like, hey, let me tell you about the barrier of entry here. Whoever wants to be my disciple will do these three things. I think it's worthwhile us meditating on these for a moment. What does it mean for us to deny ourselves? What does that mean? We live in a culture saturated by the self. A guy a couple of years ago wrote a book called The Cult of the Self. And the whole idea around this book was is that we live in a hyper-individualist society where everything is about me. Everything is about me. And it's not just because we have iWatches and iPhones. It's not just because we have a generation that are more obsessed with selfies than almost anything else, as if it's not like more than just one generation that takes selfies. It's like all of us, right? But it's more than that. You think about how our world talks about the formation of our identity. What do we say? Hey, be true to yourself. It's the most important thing. Be true to yourself. Hey, if anyone threatens who you really are, then they don't really love you. Go and find yourself, find your truth. We motivate kids and talk to them about self-esteem and self-motivation and self-this and self-that. And what we've done is that we have actually created a society where our well-being revolves around the health of ourselves. A guy named Robert Roberts, which is quite simply the best name I've ever had to quote on platform. His parents must have really, really wanted him to have an interesting childhood. Robert Roberts, or Bobby Bob, as we call him in the industry, <laughs> says this, we have been led to believe that the self is sacrosanct, is holy, is other, that the self is the new God. Just as in earlier times, it seemed fitting never to deny God, it now seems right never to, to deny one's self. Be true to yourself. Follow your heart, just do it and don't let anyone tell you what to do. This is the orthodoxy of our world. Taking up your cross is the heresy. What's He saying here? We're more focused on people getting what they want as the answer to society's problems. And it's not just another generation, friends. It's not just like we're always like, yes, that's the issue with Generation Alpha as if it's not our issue as well. It's us, teenagers. If you're in the room and you're like, yeah, mum and dad tell me about this all the time. It's their problem too. Feel free to use that in your next argument in your household. (laughs) My dad used to always say this line to me. He's like, Michael, the universe doesn't revolve around you mind blowing to me. When I was growing up, I was like, what? I thought everyone else out there was here to make me happy. And it made a lot more sense why I was really unhappy all the time because people weren't out there thinking about me as much as I thought they were. The problem is this, when we train a generation to focus on themselves, on their self-motivation, their self-esteem, their self-identity, their self actualization, the hyper individualization of themselves. And as they raise up, and then we turn around and say, boy, aren't they selfish. Who did that? When every kid needs to get a ribbon because we're too afraid of saying one kid got first and we don't want to hurt anyone else's emotions, what happens in that moment is we tell them the most important thing is how you feel. You. Matter more than anything else. Actually, it's kind of nice because I always came last in school in all sports. So I loved getting a ribbon no matter what. So I'm not actually against that practice. Shout out to teachers that do it. But what we do is we're perpetuating a culture. And Jesus is saying something different. He is saying, guys, deny yourself. A.W. Tozer says it like this. He says, The meaning of self denial is not an infliction of personal torment nor penance, but simply the giving up of the very principle of living for ourselves is completely changing the direction of our being and will, so that no longer, in any sense, do we act concerning how anything will affect us, but our one thought is how it will affect God or others. Now, he makes a really good point. When Jesus says deny yourself, he's not saying don't enjoy things. Like Jesus isn't saying, if you were sitting at home last night, you watched a really good Netflix movie, the the wrong answer would be like, I should never watch a movie ever again. No, He's not talking about that. If you like enjoy hanging out with your partner or with a friend, Jesus isn't being like, I enjoy it so it must never happen. Like desire and pleasure were created by God to bring you joy and bring Him glory. He's not talking about that. Don't don't go home and be like, we're only eating Brussels sprouts from now on kids, self-denial. That's, that's called torture. Like you should, that's not okay. What, what, what he's saying here is it's a reprioritization. Ultimately, what's he saying? Pick up the tea towel. Serve. It's not about you. It's not about you. And when we actually recognise what, what's going on here, it's actually the centre of the human problem. If you you know, we, we talk about this a lot in your eyes, so I don't think this is new, but repetition brings formation, right? And so what happened in Genesis chapter three, right when everything went wrong, when humanity sinned, what happened in that moment when sin entered into our world, actually the, the Latin theological term for it is incivatus in se. Now you thought you were come into church to get a sermon and you're gonna leave bilingual. You're welcome. The incivatus in se is Latin for the heart curved in on itself. It's the best understanding of sin. We think sin is when I do naughty things. No, it's way more than that. It's when we prioritise ourselves. We come first. When Jesus says, deny yourself, what's He saying? Uncurve your heart. Uncurve your heart. Imagine, imagine what the world would be like, friends. If we were a world where people denied themselves. The sake of the other, would it not be beautiful? Would it not bring change? What is Jesus saying here? He's handling something the Bible talks of often, all the way through Paul's writings. Paul says, In many moments, I die to myself. In Colossians chapter 1, he goes and he says, I put to death the old self. Why does He say these things? He says these, he says these things because He recognises that some of the things that actually will prevent the move of God in your life is when self comes first. He says, deny yourself. And how does He do this? What is the practical thing He gives us? He says something really simple. Take up your cross. Now, for us, that can be confusing And if you've been in church for like the last 10 years, you will have heard this talked about. We've sanitised the cross, right? The cross has become something that's easy to look at. We wear it as jewellery, don't we? We tattoo it on ourselves. We wear it on our shirts. It becomes a symbol of hope. We stick it in stained glass windows. There's this is a great story, true story of a pastor who they did an overhaul of their church, they did a renovation and uh, he brought his friend, friend over to see his church, gave him a tour of all the facility. Isn't this beautiful? How good is it? And he took him into the sanctuary and right there in the middle of the whole thing was this beautiful wooden cross. And he said, isn't this amazing? And he was look at the carpentry. Isn't it beautiful how they shaved it, how they shaped it for us? Isn't this the, the hope of the world? Isn't this, it, it cost me $10,000. And his friend turns to him and goes, mate, I think you got ripped off. They used to give crosses to Christians for free. What's he saying? The cross thousands of years ago was where they stuck Christians to die. They didn't have to buy them. They just had to follow Jesus. We've sanitised the cross so much that we forget that what Jesus is saying is the disciples would have bothered them. Why? Because this is before Easter. He hasn't climbed the cross yet. He hasn't been crucified. So to them, what He's saying to them is, take up your guillotine. Take up your gas chamber. Take up your electric chair and follow me. And they're like, what the heck is Jesus on about? It was so offensive because you wanna know the people that took up a cross? It was anyone the Roman Empire deemed as politically threatening to their kingdom and their way of life. It wasn't just Jesus. They used to line the Appian Way in Italy with thousands of political prisoners and Christians crucified on crosses as a reminder to travellers, the Roman Empire wins. do not defy us. Jesus in this moment is saying, take up a symbol of grotesque torture given to people who are a threat to the way the world functions and follow me. When He says, deny yourself, He's saying to them, hey, listen, following me means you're not gonna get everything you want. When He says, take up your cross, what is He really saying? It's not gonna be safe. I'm not calling you to safety. Safety. I'm not calling you to comfort. In fact, Dietrich Bonhoeffer would say this, when Jesus says, come follow me, he beckons a man, come and die. Die to yourself. Die to the very thing that sent Jesus to the cross. This is a hard word. John Stott unpacks it a little bit further and he says this, Taking up your cross is not a call to passivity or resignation, but an invitation to active discipleship. It means willingly embracing the cost of following Jesus, even when it involves suffering, persecution, or rejection. It is a radical commitment to obey Christ, whatever the consequences. A radical commitment saying, Jesus, no matter what, I'm here. How many of us have a radical commitment to obey Christ no matter the consequences? The problem is is that Jesus doesn't create tears of followership. He doesn't go, hey, for some people who call my disciples, you might do this. He says, whoever wants to be my disciple, I've called you to a way of life. Deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. This is a hard word. But there's no excuse for any other way of living if we want Jesus Christ to be who He says He is. Why would He do this? How many of us are walking out of the room today and be like, I cannot wait to share with my friends at work tomorrow what Michael spoke about at church today. Like, man, it's going to be... St- I came in cold and I walked out warm and fuzzy from church this morning. It's beautiful. That's, that's kind of not how we feel. So you've got to ask this question. Why is Jesus being so full on? Like, Jesus, why are you making it so hard? Deny yourself? Die to myself? Oh my gosh, Jesus. This, doesn't, this is the worst sales pitch for a movement or a revolution I've ever heard. But here's the last thing Jesus says. What does he say? He says, follow me. Follow me. So let's ask a great question. Where's Jesus heading? Well, first of all, he's heading to Golgotha, to the place of death. But here's what's cool. His story doesn't stop there, does it? Where does he go next? He goes to a tomb. What happens next? Just as the cross is empty, friends, the tomb is empty. When we follow Christ... We follow Him into death, but here is the beautiful truth. We follow Him into life and life to the full. Jesus says in John 10.10, I've come to bring you life, life to the full. But if you want it, you're going to have to stop clinging to the thing that you think is bringing you life and realising it's bringing you death. Give it to me, die to it, follow me and you'll have life. And for thousands of years, Christians have been denying themselves, taking up their cross and following Jesus. Not because we're self-masochistic and we hate life and just want pain, but because by following Jesus, only then do we know life and life to the full. When we choose to lay down our lives, we pick up something far more valuable than we could have ever had. Friends, there are people in the room today who are wondering why you're struggling in your faith and your walk with Jesus. My question is simply this, have you died to yourself and taken up the life Jesus has for you? Or are we still clinging to the things that we think will make us happy? When Jesus is so clear. He doesn't say this because He wants to hurt us. He says this because He wants to bless us. He says, will you trust me? Trust me with this. Take up your cross and follow me. Peter says, Jesus, you are leading us to death. And Jesus reminds, yes, but Peter, I'm giving you life. He goes on and he says an interesting thing. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will find it. What good will it be for someone to gain the whole world yet forfeit their soul? What can anyone give in exchange for their soul? Once again, Jesus may not be spinning the truth. He definitely makes it a little confusing. Whoever wants to find their life will lose it? When I was 18, um, back when I was a young man before COVID, there was this moment where. Um, Every time I've said that, people laugh and I still don't understand why. (laughs) I think it's because you don't think I'm young, but here's what, people younger than me think I'm old. People older than me think I'm young. I'm stuck in this weird limbo of reality where I don't have any choice but to be middle-aged. And no one wants to be middle-aged, it's boring. Amen, some of you are offended because you're middle aged, but you know I'm true. You know it's true. It's like, we wanna be young or old, but there's middle aged. Was... Anyway, when I was a young man at the age of 18, I remember everyone would finish school, not everyone, a select group of people finish school and they would chuck on backpacks and they would go to Europe or they go to Asia or they go to America. And the whole idea was like that they were going to find themselves. Like as if they had enough money to originally to lose themselves overseas. Like they're gonna go find themselves overseas. And it was like this idea, this experiment that they're like, I just don't know who I am. So I'm gonna go find myself in Europe. As if like being surrounded by a group of people who don't speak your language, like, oh, that's who I am. I now know I'm Australian. Like the problem is, is that Jesus says this, is that when you wanna find yourself, here's the problem. You go to Europe and you'll find yourself. This is Jesus' advice. Leave them in Europe, (laughs) forget them. The self is the problem, don't find yourself, lose yourself and you will find life. Because that self thing, that was where you got into trouble in the first place. You wanna know who you are, look in the mirror. The same problem that was a problem in Australia, is still a problem in England, because you're in both countries. You wanna find who you really need to be, lose who you need to be for the world and find who Christ has called you to be. This is what Jesus is saying. He comes and He's offering us life and life to the full. Not that we might cling to our identity, that we might lose it. And we cling to things we think will bring us happiness. And Jesus at the end of the day is saying something so simply, friends, it's me. It's me. It's me. Jim Carrey has this great line he says, "I, I you, know, you know, of course, we quote Jim Carrey and Jesus in the same sentence. I hope everybody could get rich and famous and will have everything they ever dreamed of so they will know that it's not the answer. Sarah and I, for most of the time we lived on the Gold Coast, my books and her books have been stored in our garage for the last two and a half years. And I love books. It's like my dream. I'm not good at sport, but I could read. And I've uh, been gathering books for the last couple of years. And... And I was really looking forward, we were really looking forward to getting a bookcase. We were like, when we get a bookcase, we will have arrived. And so a couple of weeks ago, we we're like, it's time. We're getting our bookcases. And we've, we've been looking at bookcases for years. We found the ones we wanted, we've saved, and we've got our bookcases, we put them in our house. I spent six hours last week building IKEA flat packs, which is like a different form of torture of denying yourself altogether. <laughs> And this weird thing happened, right? Where I'm sitting there, we're sitting there on Sunday afternoon last week, distinctly remember And we're just like, you know, most of you watch TV on Sunday afternoons. We were just looking at our bookshelves. We were sitting there for an hour. We're just looking at them going, wow, don't they look amazing? And Sarah said something that just stuck out to me. She goes, hmm, Jesus is really the only thing that can bring satisfaction, eh? I'm like, what? She's like, I thought this would feel better. Have you ever felt that? Like you went to get the car, the house, the bike, the piece of clothes, and you're like, I thought, I thought this would work. <laughs> this is a beautiful moment when my wife, once again, was just sitting and going, huh, doesn't do it. They're great bookshelves. <laughs> it's not it. And friends, we all have bookshelves, don't we? We all have things in our life that we think are going to do it, and we get it, and we're like, ah, oh, maybe one more thing. But what Jesus is saying to Peter and to us here is this. Will you trust me? Will you trust me with your happiness? Will you trust me to know what you need? Will you trust me? Will you surrender it all? Does that mean we don't buy bookshelves or cars? No, that's that's not what Jesus is saying. He's saying, trust me, surrender it all to me. And I'll bring you the things that we need to make this world a better place. A.W. Toad says this, when we surrender to God, we change our limited plans for his perfect and eternal purposes. Here's my question today, friends. Have you surrendered to God? Everything. Ignatius Loyola, one of my favourite fathers of the the church, a Catholic priest, he, he defines sin like this. Sin is the unwillingness to trust that what God wants for me is only my deepest happiness. That's a challenging one for those of us walking through suffering right now, isn't it? God, well, why are you letting me walk through suffering? Well, because the Christian understands that suffering and happiness are not mutually opposed ideas. That struggle and triumph can be interwoven into God's plan. And in the middle of hardship, we go, God, you know, so I'm gonna trust you. The ultimate challenge to Peter and to every person in this room today is simply a simple question, whether you're online or here, have you surrendered to Jesus? Everything your life, your plans, your objectives, your goals, your dreams, your wants, your desires, because Jesus is either Lord of all or is Lord of nothing at all. There's no middle ground. And I close with this analogy. There's a, there's a time in history called the Crusades, which at best are really morally ambiguous and at worst really clear that Christianity did some dark things in history. But having said that, there's a myth that comes out of this time that I think kind of unpacks this really well for us. There's an order of knights that used to go marching on the Crusades called the Knights Templar. And the Knights Templar would dress themselves in armour and they would dedicate their crusade to God. And the way they would do this would be they would baptise themselves. They would fully submerge themselves in water in full armour as a way of saying, God, I am completely surrendered to you. But they would... um, they would hold their sword above the water. As they were saying, God, I'm completely surrendered to you. Everything about me is yours, not my sword. I'm going to, need to do some dark stuff with my sword. I'm going to be in control of my sword. It's not yours. I take everything else, but not this. And what, what do we know the Crusades for? Some really dark things. And I think that we do the same with our own discipleship. Jesus, take all of me, just not my bank account. You get it all, Jesus, but I'm pretty good at investing. I know crypto, I understand investments. Like I'll do that, you do everything else. Jesus, you take it all, but you know, not my marriage. Because only I understand why my wife or husband is frustrating. Only I really get it. So don't you tell me how to serve them. Take it all of me, God, but you know, not my preferences, not my romances, not my relationship status, not my kids, not my house, not my career. You you can have it all but that, why? Because I'm better at it than you, Jesus. And I wanna do things that you probably won't let me do. So you get to take a back seat on that part of my life, but everything else is yours. And here's the problem. If He doesn't have the sword, then He doesn't have the knight. If He doesn't have all of you, then He doesn't have all of you at all. Have you surrendered completely to Christ? Christ isn't in the mode of partial renovation. He wants to completely make you a new person, a new creation, someone that knows their identity in Christ, but He starts with all of us, not part of us. Friends, are you completely surrendered to Jesus today? Last week when I preached this at Kool a man came up to me after the service and I actually thought I didn't preach very well at all. And here's the beautiful testimony of how God moves despite us, not because of us. And he was just in tears. I said, he said, my name's, my name's Jim. And I said, Jim, how are you? are you? okay?" He's like, I've been going to Alpha for the last eight weeks and I've loved it. Free food's the best. So, but it, you know, it, it hasn't yet clicked. He said, but today, at the end of this, he said, I gave my life to Jesus for the first time. I've got to tell you, I was confused. i like, Jim, like, this is probably the harshest sermon to hear. He's like, "Now nah, it makes sense," and I've never felt so free. I've never felt so free, and I realise, you know, why Jim gives his life to God It's because he's had a moment of such desperation that he says, "This, I have no other choice because nothing else has worked. i gonna die to myself and live for Christ because it's the only way forward." Friends, I believe some of you are at that moment today. There are people in the room who are at that point of desperation. I've got to tell you, the way forward is to let go of control. The way forward is to give up, to give in. The way forward is through the cross. The way forward is through death. God is beckoning you, come die to yourself and live and truly live for me. Now some of you who are Christians here today who've been living compartmentalized, superficial lives, compartmentalizing what's really going on, thinking that God can have all of you kind of, but you're protecting some of your life. And I'm here to ask you, hey, is it time to finish that strategy? Begin a new one of complete and utter surrender? Are you surrendered to Jesus today? Let's pray. Let's pray. Jesus, we know and acknowledge right now. now. These are not easy words. God, without You, it's impossible to die to ourselves. We just, we're like, we love orbiting around ourselves. Without You showing us what the cross could be, it's nothing more than a, a, a symbol of oppression. But because of You, denying ourselves, taking up our cross and following You is a pathway to life and life to the full. So Jesus, friends, I just want to ask you a really basic question today. If you're here in this room, heads bowed and eyes closed, and you've never surrendered your life completely to Jesus, I want to offer this to you right now. There is life and life to the full on offer. And if you're here today and you want to surrender your life to Jesus for the first time, I want to ask right now, would you raise your hand wherever you are? you want to surrender your life to Christ for the first time, I'll wait for you for a moment. Would you raise your hand wherever you are? Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Matt. I see your hand. Thank you. I see your hand. Anyone else? I see your hand. Thank you so much. I'm going to pray with those who raise their hands right now and every Christian in the room is going to pray with us because we believe this prayer is not a magical prayer. It's an important prayer that says what we need God to do. Would you join with me? If you're online, I'd love you to pray with me. There are people waiting to pray with you one-on-one as well. Would you say these words with me? Dear Jesus, I'm sorry for my sin. I surrender control. I choose to follow You to death and to life. Would You teach me to follow You? as my Lord, my Saviour, and my friend. In Jesus' Name, Amen. Father, I pray for every person that prayed that prayer for the first time today in the room or online, that there would just be something shifting in their hearts. A weight would be lifted. As they release control, would they see You in control, Lord God, and make them a new creation in Jesus Christ's Name. We join with Heaven in celebration right now. We praise You for what You're doing. In Jesus' Name we pray. Friends, would you just stay heads bowed and eyes closed for a second? And I just wanna ask, to finish today's service, we're gonna sing a song. It's called, I Surrender. But I'm not gonna ask you to stand. And if you're online, this is it's gonna be something between you and God. I'm not gonna ask you to stand till you're ready. When we sing this song, I Surrender, it's a song that says, I surrender all, everything. I thought, What if we just had an opportunity to decide today if we're actually ready to do that as Christians and as followers of Jesus? And if you're not, I just wanna say it's okay. Thank you for your honesty. But if you are, let's just spend a moment at the start of the song asking Jesus, God, what's the sword I'm raising above the water? I felt this burden on my heart in the first service and I'm gonna offer it to you in this service and online, I think it's offered to you as well. I think some people will be called to come and kneel down the front as a symbol I'm surrendering all. I just want to ask, would you do that? When you're ready, would you come and kneel as a sign of saying, Jesus, it's all yours. Even my pride. I surrender to you what people will think of me because I want you and all of you. But when you're ready, at your timing, when God has done work with you, I would love to ask you, would you stand when we sing, when you're ready to surrender all to God? You might stand the first note, it might be the last note of the song. And maybe some of you might even come kneel down the front and say, right now, today, Jesus, take it all. It's for you. So Jesus, as we prepare, would You do work in our hearts and lives now, whether we're online or in the room. And when we're ready, Father, maybe You would call us down the front to kneel or maybe just stand in our seats to sing. But God, may we not respond to pressure. May we not respond to social anxiety around us. I pray we'd respond to You and the work You're doing in our hearts and lives. Whether you're a teenager, young, middle-aged, or old in the room. Let's wait on Him together now. Jesus, what do we need to surrender to You today? Thanks again for listening to the New Life Podcast. If that stirred something within you or you would like prayer, you can head to church.nu forward slash prayer or contact us through our Instagram or Facebook page. We pray that you have a great week. Be blessed.